we're going to be opening up into Ephesians chapter 2. And I think the first three chapters of Ephesians might be the best three chapters in the whole Bible. Is that provocative? Maybe that's provocative. I'm not sure. But I'm, there's so much treasure there. It's, uh, it's just beautiful. And so really what I'm finding as I'm diving into Ephesians, and every time I, I dive into a book and, and preach my way through it, I always find something new. But what I'm seeing is the constant theme in Ephesians is, is that God is establishing a family. He is doing a work outside of us, and the work he's doing outside of us, he's inviting us into to come on the inside of what God has already done. Now, a lot of times we feel as if we need to do a bunch of things to impress God or do a bunch of things to get God's attention. I want to tell you something. You already have God's attention. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, it's all about this redemptive arc of the story of God, of what God is up to. And I want to tell you, here's the thing. Spoiler alert. Here's what God's up to. He wants to have a family. Because that's what love does, is love can't stand to share love with only itself. So as beautiful as the relationship was with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, when love is at the will, it can't help but share that. So what Father, Son, and Holy Ghost want to do is they want to draw us into this relationship. And you know what they're willing to do to make that a reality? They're willing to do all the work and ask you just to receive it. Yeah. Matter of fact, they ask you not to do anything because you're going to mess it up. Yeah. So God's like, uh, would you get out of the way and just by faith receive this? <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's the reality. That's what's going on. And so the first chapter of Ephesians was, was all about the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It was the Father who predestined us before the foundations of the world. Do you see what Paul is doing there? He's getting us outside of ourself, right? Because we all trace our family history back to a grandpa or a great, great, you know, we only go back so far, right? And if we keep going back, who do we get to? Adam. Ooh. But do you know what Paul says? Paul says, oh, no, 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 you go way back than that. You were in the father's mind and heart before you ever were in Adam's genes. How you like them apples, Pat Colson? I'm telling you. So what we try to do is find identity in something that is temporal and find it in our genes, our DNA, our family heritage, and then we accept all the fallenness from our family lineage. And God's like, whoa, 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 that ain't where you started. You started in me and in my heart before the foundations of the world, I thought about you before I said, let there be light. So the Father predestines us in Jesus, and then what does Jesus do? Jesus said, well, they awfully dirty. 
I'm going to have to shed some blood to get the family clean enough to be in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So the next stage in Ephesians 1 is Jesus is shedding blood to draw us and bring us near. See, everything they're doing is to get us outside of ourself to bring us in. How many of you know you got to get outside of yourself to come in? And that's what happens, right? This is, we always want to dig within ourselves to find something. And the further we dig down, you know what I find? The less I got. I'm going to get down, dig deep, and find some resolve. No, you're not. You're going to find more fallenness and more junk. I'm talking to a friend of mine today. We were talking about the woman at the well. woman at the well, Jesus said, how would you like a drink of living water? You'd never be thirsty again. She said, huh, this well's deep, and you ain't got nothing to draw with. Jesus says, I'm not trying to get it from you. I pull it from him and fill you from the top down. I don't care how deep your well is. God makes it rain from up there. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he's doing. So he's getting us outside of himself. And then he says this. Oh, and guess what? Holy Ghost has sealed you. And the word sealed in the Greek is like a signet ring that's pressed into wax that would seal a letter or a scroll. So it's like the Holy Spirit is sealing up the potential of everything God wrote on the inside of you of the destiny of your life. And the Holy Spirit is sealing it to protect it for the final day when everything's open and we will be revealed and be seen as, as we, who, we, who we actually are. So we see Father at work, we see Son at work, we see the Holy Spirit giving us this guarantee, this sealing, this deposit that bears witness with our spirit that we're saved and that what God says is true and that we can have strength for the journey based upon that. So God's drawn us into this thing and it all has to do with family. It all has to do with undoing what Adam did riding the ship in Jesus, and then us plugging into the bloodline of Jesus and becoming his family and becoming in him and in him reattached to the Father and reattached to the Holy Spirit. So this is what God's up to. This is what he's up to. He's trying to put together a family. But he can't put together a family if they don't know where they come from. Yeah. And so this is what God's trying to show us. This is where you come from. Next time somebody asks, where you come from? Don't tell them some podunk town from Arkansas. <laughs> you say, man, I was born from above. I existed in the mind of God before the foundations of the earth. You see what that does? That reorients you in him so that your life doesn't start until you got born again in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what Jesus does. Jesus was from the beginning. And he'll never, he never started. He always was, is, and he was to come. So Jesus swallows up our lives in the was, is, and is to come. And takes care of our past 
in the was, takes care of the is, in the present, and then takes us care all, of it, all the way to the is to come. All of our life got swallowed up into Jesus, and we became, whether you knew it or not, crucified with Christ, where it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. Yeah. So it's like, wait a second, I got crucified in Christ? Yeah, he took the place of Adam. In Adam all sinned, in Christ many are made righteous. So all who would come to Jesus were in Jesus while he was on the cross. So your life is in him. So if you're trying to find some kind of dignity in your family line, I'm going to tell you, at some point, that's going to break down for you. Hello. (laughs) It's going to break down for you. But if you go all the way back to Jesus, all the way back to the Father, start there. That's your new family. You guys are in the tribe of Jesus. Yeah, tribe of Jesus. Just skip Judah. Go right into Jesus. Because he's the new Israel. (laughs) He's the faithful Israel. If you're in him, you're grafted in, buddy. Yeah, grafted in. Good things ahead for you. Good things ahead for you. So Ephesians plugs us into God's family history, which propels us into our future destiny, which changes us to now. Changes our now, but it changes our future as well. So there's this text that I I can't escape. I'll bring it up probably once every few months. But when Jesus goes to wash feet, the Bible says he gets up from dinner and he takes the posture of a slave. And he says this, he knew from where he came. So he started washing feet. (laughs) Because remember, he only does what he sees the father doing. So at some point in time, he saw the way the father served and it informed him to wash feet in that moment. To leave the table where he should have been the king and the feaster and says, "Mm, oh yeah, I came from the father. Yeah, he washes feet. So when we know from where we come, we'll know what to do in the moment. And if we do what's right in the moment, which is imitate Jesus, he is the prototype, he is the model, not David, not Samson. I remember people tell me, well, Samson, you know, he fell, but at the end, he, I was like, he's not your model. Well, David killed somebody. He's not the model. Jesus is the model. He's the standard. He's the benchmark. He's the bar. And we spend our whole life striving to that kind of excellence. Don't settle for David when you got Jesus. Yeah. You got to go after him. You got to go after him. So he knew from which he came, which informed his presence, present, but it put up treasure for his life to come. So if I let where I've come from, the Father, inform my now, how did the Father live? Well, i got to look to Jesus because Jesus said he only exists to glorify and reveal the Father. And if I put myself in him 
and begin to live like Jesus, then suddenly my future's taken care of and I'm putting up treasures in heaven. So the past, the present, and the future is always working together when I remember where I come from. So that's what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to get us outside of ourselves and say, look what God has done for you. Look what he's done for you. Have you ever messed it up so bad you couldn't get out of your own head about how bad you messed it up? And you feel like if you keep reliving it that God's like, wow, look how miserable they are. That's awesome. Wow, look how holy they are. Man, look, they're so sad and... And God's like, man, I already took care of that on the cross. I already took care of that. So God's trying to get us outside of ourself. And sometimes to get outside of ourself, we got to find out a little bit more about ourself. Because how many of you know, when I was in the kind of spiritual journey of following the Lord, I would start to put a little faith in myself. And anytime I did that, man... It was about to go down bad. If something bad was about to happen. So like the journey is like really realizing like I can't really put like more faith in myself and my ability and my ability to pull it off. I've got to lose that, put my faith in Jesus and what he's already done. And now all of a sudden I'm in a position of freedom and the burden's not all on me and the strength is, is not all got to come from me. And I'm in this place of freedom to where I'm relaxed and receiving from God and I'm able to live the life of God and the power of God that he provides. Because here's what Satan will do. If Satan can't get you to fall back into sin, he'll create a standard that's impossible for you to live up to so you feel guilty and second rate the rest of your life. Because he wants to pull you down there, and if he can't, he wants you to feel miserable about living for God. And a lot of people have bought that, that a life lived for God is miserable. And I want to tell you, that's the furthest thing from the truth. I'm having more fun now than I've ever had in my life. I used to hear people say that, preachers say that. I was like, well, they ain't never hung out with me. <laughs> yeah. But then let the consequences of those sins catch up to you. And then how big a boy are you? Uh, you say, man, I wish I was back with Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So that's the whole thing that God's unraveling. is He's unraveling of get outside yourself and get into me. That's what he wants to do. Why did Jesus become flesh? To fill every fiber of the human existence so his every fiber could fill your human existence. That's why he came. So that you would know what it was like to have God living on the inside of you. <laughs> Animating you. Propelling you. Energizing you. <sighs> yeah. So, so we'll dive into chapter 2 here. So this is our rightful place, the finished work of Christ before we do anything. Now here's where it starts. So we learned about everything God did for us in chapter 1. He's adopted us. He's brought us into the family. And now Paul leaves this heavenly realm and comes back into reality realm and tells us who we are without God. Why? Because we might have a little faith in ourselves if he don't fully cut that thing off at the head. 
So listen to what he says. Here's your existence without God. You ready? And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you formerly lived according to the world's present path. Or it might say to the course of the world. The picture that Paul is drawing here is dead bodies floating in a, in a current that are just being taken, taken along lifeless. So he says, okay, this is what you look like without God. A floating body in a river carried along to wherever that thing is supposed to go. No swimming upstream, you're floating, being carried. That's the picture that God, through Paul, is showing. This is what it looks like when we're outside of Christ. We're being carried along in the current. According to the ruler of the domain or the principality of the air. The ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience. So get this picture here with me. You're lifeless. You're floating. And even the air you breathe in that life is contaminated and charged by the principality and the power of the air, Satan himself. That when Adam took his first breath, God gave it to him. When Adam sinned, whose breath did he breathe? <gasps> Uh-oh. Now even the air I'm breathing is corrupted. So this is what you look like without Christ. Floating, carried along, breathing, air, <laughs> contaminated by Satan. Ruler of the Spirit that is now energized the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom all of us also formerly lived out lives of cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature... Children of wrath, and even as the rest. Now, this is kind of how this is written in the original language in the Greek. There's like it's, this is like a cliffhanger, right? This is like the dot 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 here that the that the NET version captures. This is how it was written. Paul puts us in this position to go, "Wow, I'm being carried along. I'm dead. The air I'm breathing is contaminated, and the flesh that's within me is." After sin and that's all at once. What's he doing that for? So that I feel really bad about myself? No. He's trying to say, if you live a life without God, this is what it looks like. It's impossible. It only leads to one place. And so he's creating this hopeless picture of how in the world... Can I be in the family of God? How in the world can I be connected to God? Because it sounds like I'm in a very hopeless situation. But now look at verse 4 here. So we're left with that dot, dot, dot. 
What's the next answer going to be? But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in offenses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. And he raised us up together with him and seated us together with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So you see here, God, through Paul, puts us in this hopeless position, but then says, but don't worry about it. Because this God that we have is incredibly merciful and incredibly full of grace. And he took care of all this on the cross and through the resurrection. And he doesn't just leave you in the resurrection and the ascension where he goes to the right hand of God. You know what he does? He takes you up there with him and says, here, sit down with me. <laughs> so it's like, whoa, we're in a state. What's going to happen? Oh, God's taking care of it. See what it did? It got us outside of ourselves. Well, we felt the hopelessness of our situation, but then it went directly into the mercy and the goodness of God and his intentions and what he's going to do on the inside of us. And it put us to the place where we can trust God and stop trusting ourselves. God says, get out of yourself and trust in me. And when you do that, man, Grace then empowers you to be holy. That's what grace is. Grace isn't an excuse for sin. Grace brings to me the voice of God and gives me the ability to live out the commands of God. Not in a burdensome way, but in a joyful way. Because his commands aren't burdensome. They actually bring you life. You ever think it, man, I can't obey all these rules. Then God fill you with the Holy Ghost and you start obeying them. You say, man, my life's never been better. The commands are only burdensome if you're doing them in the flesh. And this is what he's trying to say. Look, get outside yourself and get into this merciful God. And you can be seated with him in heavenly places. So remember what we read, the prince of the power of the air. Satan, who's in this realm, the Jewish thought was that there's the first heaven where we're at. There's a second heaven where the demonic powers live. And then the third heaven becomes the place where God's throne is, right? So Jesus, when he rises from the dead and ascends to the right hand of God, he's actually puncturing going through that second realm of demonic activity saying, oh yeah, I'm far above that stuff that was controlling you and making you do the things that you were doing. And you're no longer sons of wrath and sons of disobedience. You're seated with me in a place of victory and death and sin have no more hold on you. Yeah. So when he rises up, when he's like, all right guys, I gotta go, shoo. He's preaching to the principalities and powers and saying, no more will you have sway over my children because I've accomplished the payment for their sin. I've given them the spirit of God to empower them to live holy and I've broken the power of sin on their life. 
Yeah. And so the process of wrapping our mind around that is called sanctification. And uh, it takes a while for that stuff to set in. So be patient with yourself. And be patient with God. Because he's going to finish the work that he started. And the only way he's not is if you hit the ejector seat and quit too early. You want to win? Don't give up. I don't care how much you're struggling. Get over it. The blood of Jesus is to cover all that. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes up to the, to the, to the right hand of God and a testimony to the principality of the air. Of, because in the ancient mindset, they thought those glowing stars were heavenly beings. Did you know that? They thought those were angels, good and bad. And that that was warfare going on up there. And you know what we found out through NASA? Those are burning balls of gas. Don't tell anybody. And that's what the devils are. Burning balls of gas. Not eternal. Not eternal. Fading, burning out. But Jesus, that's why when the heavenly city comes down, ah, we don't need a sun. That thing will burn out. Jesus, he'll light us up forever. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is so bright, he makes the sun look like a black hole. Imagine that kind of glory. Well, that's what you're called to. It's where you're going. You're going to look like him. You're going to look like him. You're going to look so much like him. John is tempted in the visions of the revelation of Jesus. He's tempted to worship an angel. And he said, don't worship me, man. I'm like you. What? That's what I'm going to look like. I'm going to be filled with that much glory. Yeah. Yeah, you will. If you finish your race and endure to the end. That's why Satan's trying to steal your love. It's the only thing you got. Only thing you got separate from the world. The world can outdo us in everything. Let's face it. They can outdo us in buildings. They can outdo us in entertainment. They can outdo us in music. They can, we're getting better at that, but they can outdo us in almost everything. But you know what the world can't do? Because they can't love. Because love comes from one entity, and it's God, because he is love, and he's the only one that can give it. And that's why it says in the last days, because lawlessness will abound, and you're seeing it. And as soon as you see the lawlessness, what's the first thing you want to do? And devil's like, ha, 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 ha. I'm getting their love. And if I get that, they can't endure to the end and be saved. Yeah. Yeah. 
So watch your, guard your heart. Out of it flows the issues of life. And uh, don't let the devil get your love. It didn't come from him. He can't have it. You can only give it to him. You can only give it to him. He can't take it. He just wants you to think he's really strong. He's really not. So where are we at here? I don't even know. So uh, verse, verse 7, yeah. So this is the principle here of being seated with Christ. Is the being seated there actually harkens back to language in Genesis where it said God rested. What that meant in actuality would be that God wasn't tired, okay? <laughs> like he, he didn't need a nap. God rested in the sense that he sat down and was in a place of ruling. Now, here's the cool thing that happened in that. The Adam wasn't made till what day? Sixth day. Last thing on the sixth day, right? So what was Adam's first day to be alive? In the day God rested. In other words, humanity doesn't start until it enters into the rest of God. So Jesus is saying, I put you up here with me, seated, already won, game over, receive it. What does it say? They worked really hard and grabbed Jesus' cloak to make it up there to be seated with him. No, he said, you're in me, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected with us on the inside of him, seated at the right hand of God. Just as I got it, you're in me. Now where it gets really nice is when you realize you're not just in him, but he's in you. <laughs> Man, now, then we're really getting somewhere. Because now he's everywhere I go. And he says, man, I need to get back in church. Go, here I am. Yeah, well, that changes the mindset. So everywhere I go, who's with me? And everywhere he is, I go to prepare a place for you. For not where I will go, that's how we read it, right? That's the funeral verse. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, I'm going to go prepare a place for you so that you can be where I'm going. It says, for where I am, you will be also. Amen. Not where I'm going, where I am now. How I'm walking now. You'll be in the same place. Walking with him like that. Well, that changes things. Changes a lot of funeral sermons too, doesn't it? John 17, this is eternal life, that I may know him and the one in whom he sent. It sounds like eternal life starting now, man. But this is training ground for what I'm going to be doing the rest of my life. Serving God and fighting devils and bringing people into the family. Laying hands on the sick that they might recover. 
Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So sitting, ruling, resting. That's where we're seated at. So if we're already ruling and reigning with him, we ought to act like it. So as Jesus created, the Father created and said it is good. Jesus created on the cross and said it is finished. So God, six days, created and man entered his rest. In six hours, Jesus died on the cross and we entered the rest of God. Yeah. Where he might enter the rest of me. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I think so. All right, verse 7. To demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Do you see what happened there? Suddenly, if I'm apt to try to earn it, I realize I can't. And so I have to deal with my heart of, that wants to achieve and get it. But if I'm on the outside and I've already felt like I've disqualified, I'm being brought to the reality that, no, this is just given to me. So it undoes the prideful heart that would say, I can do, I can do this. But it also gives the sinner who seems to constantly just can't get it, gives them the grace to say, you know what, maybe I should just receive this thing. Is that it undoes the pride of the human heart. What's the pride of the human heart? I got this and I don't need you, God, or I'm no way I'm good enough for that and I can't do it. The grace of God deals with both of those realities. And it robs Satan of his power. Because it's like, it's like God's just that good. Get over it. Receive it. Well, you don't know what I, I. Stop. He's that good. Get over it. Oh, but, uh, no, not but, but God. Amen. But God. That's a big old but. <clears throat> oh, you guys are terrible. I cannot believe you. What is this, junior high balance money? What's going on in here? Mm-hmm. My <laughs> Stop it, Tim. <clears throat> We're talking about the word here. Okay, where are we at? <laughs> Sorry. For by grace, yes, grace, yes. You're saved, not of yourselves. The gift of God, verse 9. It is not from works so that no one can boast. And here's where it gets really cool. For we are your creative work. We are the result of our human effort and are really trying hard. We are the result of how, oh, we just went for it and did it. We are his creative work. Don't you just feel so liberated? It's like, man, God, thanks. You kind of handled it all. Now I can kind of go for it. <laughs> yeah, I can go for it. We are of his creative work. I like what the NLT says. It says his masterpiece. The word in the Greek is, is poema. 
which is where we get the word poem. That we're God's poem in the earth. (laughs) To show the principalities and powers how good God is and how much he'll forgive a people that will humble themselves and come to him. That's why you exist. To show the demonic powers how good God is and how forgiven he is. Because they can't believe that God would give that kind of glory and that kind of love and that kind of power to some people formed out of the dust. And it makes them mad. Satan's like, I'm beautiful. And you're going to give the power to that one? You're going to give them authority over me? Look how beautiful I am. God says, well, I kind of like dirt. Because it's moldable. Satan, I can't do nothing with you. Dirt ball over here. It'll respond to me. Yeah. It'll fiddle in the place that I want it to. Yeah. Yep. He's forming us in that kind of way. We are his creative work. Now check this out. Rest of verse 10, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we can do them. (laughs) So it's like, so do you see how God just did everything there? He even created the good works before he created you to fulfill those good works. That he's even created all that other stuff and then created you to fulfill those good works. That God created the solution before he created the problem. Yeah. Yeah, he created the solution before there's even a problem. It says, good works, what am I going to do here? There's a bunch of good works over here. Casey. Yep. Solution to the good works. Man, I've got this stuff over here. How am I going to do this? Um, So who's going to fulfill these good things? Dorothy. Yeah. Yeah, Dorothy would be perfect for those good works. That we are the solution to the problem. And he's already created the solution He's asked us just to walk in it. Yeah. So God would say, quit complaining about the world and be the solution that's bothering you so bad. I know it feels righteous to complain. It's just really not. Makes you feel good though, doesn't it? Got that off my chest. (laughs) Bending that out. (laughs) I told them. It's like, yeah, well, hmm. How about instead of being oriented to being complainers, what would happen if we said, no, I'm going to be the solution to the thing that's bothering me so bad? See, one shifts the blame to someone else and the responsibility to someone else. The other one gets right in the middle of it and says, I'm here to make this better. Yeah. 
Yeah. So God created the good works beforehand so that we may do them. So before the devil began to control our walk, remember he went back into, man, you're lifeless, you're this, the sons of disobedience, the children of wrath, you're breathing in this corrupted air, you're everything about it, your sin, your lust, your, your cravings are, are driving you. He's like, yeah, before all that, I created these good works over here. And this is what you're really supposed to be doing. And so in Christ, we're brought out of that lifeless place being carried along like a fish downstream. And suddenly, we start swimming against the tide, against the current. We start fighting a little bit. We start making some way. Not in our own strength, but in the strength God provides. And some of you are making some headway, man. Doesn't feel like it. I'm going to tell you something. You are. You're making ground. And God's proud of you. He's really proud of you. And some of you are in a hole. In a deep hole. Matter of fact, lots of people already counted you out. Matter of fact, some of you walk in. I said, ooh, they got out. I mean, I want to act spiritual and think, oh, yeah, they I believed it. Ooh. Didn't know God did that. Yikes. Yeah. So you got to keep making ground. You got to keep going forward. Because you're God's masterpiece. Created for good works. His good works that he has for you to do. Lord, we just thank you for everything you're doing, God. God, we're the solution to the world's problem. We are the light of the world. You said that. That we're the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. That we're what makes this place bearable, seasoned, and right. So God, we step into that high calling. What Paul said, I don't even, I can't even, who is, who is suitable for such things? The apostle Paul said, but he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. <laughs> so by the grace of God, not anything within ourselves, but by your good gifts, by your son's blood and his life, we step into the reality we are in God's family, that he is in us, that we are seated at the right hand of God, that we are above the principalities and powers, and they've got no power over us unless we give it to them. So God, we thank you for giving us the victory beforehand. So God, let us live like it. Let people say, how in the world are you living like you're winning? <laughs> and you say, because I am. In Christ, I've already won. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Hug somebody's neck. Tell them you love them. Love you guys. Unless you have a fever or sore throat. or <laughs> Don't do that. Thank you. <laughs>